Friends. We have a uh, very special Pride-themed episode today, and we are in studio, and I have a very, very special guest. Perhaps, and I say the word perhaps, the most special of all the guests, my partner Tara, the a uh, avowed private figure, has decided to break her silence and join us on the podcast for an episode on Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Tara, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello there. Um, I was going to say I was a law student, but I actually just graduated and I'm currently studying for the bar. Um, for that reason, I don't think I've updated my Twitter bio um, to reflect that, so it might still say sleep-deprived law student, um, but soon-to-be attorney. Um, don't co- contact me before then asking about all of your legal woes. I'm very busy, except not too busy to be on this fun podcast. We have a very special pride-themed, and I say pride-themed, the big question for Batman and Robin, actually for superheroes in general, if you saw our other in-studio podcast on the subject of gay Dumbledore, you know this is something... Representation in Hollywood is a big uh, topic for me, but as it pertains to Batman and Robin, in my opinion, it is the first gay superhero movie, which is controversial because it's not actually, should preface this, well, not explicitly, to, to borrow a line from Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Like, like Dumbledore, Batman is not, not explicitly gay, except, uh, he sort of is. And it's, it's interesting to have Tara here because Tara hadn't seen Batman and Robin before until I showed it to her and it came out in 1997. So I saw it for the first time when I was very little and I always thought Batman was gay. I, the idea that Batman and Robin are gay has existed, uh, has persisted for decades, but and Tara, I'm I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on Batman and Robin, having seen it for the first time. As if I haven't actually heard your thoughts, but why don't you share with the audience your your thoughts on Batman and Robin, having seen it for the first time? It was very interesting. Um, I liked the colorful aspects of it. It was fun. Um, I, I liked that it's not dark, dreary Christopher Nolan Batman and Robin. Um, I grew up watching some of the Batman cartoons. More accurately, I saw the Batman Scooby-Doo crossovers from the Hanna-Barbera stuff. And those were all very fun. They were good little escapades. Um, They were funny. And I liked that this Batman and Robin movie was very comedic, far more comedic than drama-oriented. So it was enjoyable to watch. Which is funny, because, I mean, camp is always something that uh, has defined Batman. Maybe not so much in the modern era with the Christopher Nolan films or the Zack Snyder, Jerry. I mean, they're, they're very sullen movies, but when it comes to the, the Batman in the 60s, obviously with the, the wham, pow, and Adam West and Burt Ward, with the Adam West Batman, camp was uh, the defining trait, and... When it came to the Tim Burton, the 1989 Batman, which just had its 30th anniversary, 
The notion of how much camp to include in the movie was something that the studio was constantly worried about, and obviously that movie is dark in a different way from Batman Begins or The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises. It's it's a very... I mean, it's a Tim Burton movie. That's that's probably the best way to describe it. But uh, it's not. It's it's a pretty night and day with the Tim Burton Batman. And actually, something that kind of defined the Burton Schumacher era is just the fact that uh, very few of the scenes take place in the middle of the day. And with Batman and Robin, very few of those took place in the middle of the day, except for Galicia Silver or the Barbara's uh, Pennyworth Wilson. Not Barbara Gordon, but uh, when she makes her appearance in the middle of the day. Uh, we, ne- we almost never see Gotham in the middle of the day, though, which is always kind of interesting. The aesthetics are probably better for nighttime. Certainly, and I mean, just tonally, the the Batman, uh, the Schumacher, Burton, Burton Schumacher era is, is one that's... Um, it wasn't supposed to offer, you know, it wasn't supposed to be some sort of commentary. I know when... Uh, the Dark Knight Rises came out. There was all these comparisons to Occupy Wall Street, modern politics, and all of that. Uh, Batman and Robin is the campiest movie of all, and it, it's funny just to hear your reaction from a modern perspective because this movie is really regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. It has a horrible rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It is often compared with uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space or The Room. or It, it, it is, quite frankly, regarded as... The worst superhero movie ever made. I think that's probably true, and yeah, I love it. I love Batman and Robin. I think it's a wonderfully horrible movie. It's so enjoyable. It's hilarious. A little little long, but it's so much fun to watch. Did you have fun watching it? I definitely did. I agree with your entire assessment that, like, yes, it's bad, but it's very enjoyable. And I personally... That's basically what I look for in movies. If it can keep my attention and I enjoy myself while I'm watching it. I'm not asking that they be the most compelling dramatic scripts or even the best acting, although the acting in this was a bit painful at times. Um, It was fun to watch. I enjoyed the characters. I liked seeing them with all of their antics. That That is all I ask for, and it certainly met that bar. Was it was it also very uh, ponderful? Yes, incredible amount of puns, um, especially relating to Mister Freeze, Doctor Freeze, um, and a lot of plant jokes too. It was great. So the movie had has one of the a really great all star cast. It has Arnold Schwarzenegger received top billing, which was uh, carrying on a tradition set forth by. Um, the original, the Tim Burton Batman, where Jack Nicholson was first credited. George Clooney, who's now obviously a big star, was just coming off of ER back when the, the distinction between TV and film actor was really supposed to actually mean something. Nowadays, it's kind of ridiculous. or the, There's really not much of a line between the two as kind of apparent. Meryl Streep's doing HBO, Reese, Reese Witherspoon. So the cast remains certainly... Uh, top-notch. I mean, all of the... Every single Batman villain from those four movies was a top-notch star. You had Jack Nicholson, you had Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, and also Christopher Walken. And then you had Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever, and then you had Uma Thurman, Arnold Schwarzenegger topping off the 
villains, the dual villains in Batman and Robin, and you know, Arnold Arnold is ridiculous in that, but uh, having seen almost every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in existence, um, he's really not a good actor. Do you think he's a good actor, Tara? Uh, no, <laughs> I I'm perplexed at why he ever went into acting. Um, I, I think he started as a bodybuilder. Yes. Um, that doesn't lend itself to acting abilities. Um, so like comparing him very briefly to like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, even if Dwayne the Rock Johnson plays very similar roles all the time, he's fun to watch and he's actually got good grasp on emotions as an actor. You don't really see that with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe he should have gone straight from bodybuilding to being governor, spent more time in politics that way, and just like wrestling. skip over the acting. I think he would have been just fine in his career by doing that. Well, he kind of started to make his uh, headway in uh, as a result of the Terminator, which wasn't a he didn't have to do he didn't have to say a lot of lines. It was mostly it was actually the perfect role for a bodybuilder. But I, if Arnold had skipped his acting career, I would be very sad because I I have a soft spot for a lot of Arnold's movies. Terminator is among my favorite. Uh, Eraser, Total Recall. I don't know why Eraser came. Commando is a great one. Jingle All the Way, which actually was... Oh, maybe that's why I don't like him. That movie made me sad, so I didn't like it. He gave the toy away? Yeah, and <laughs> it's just, why is he separated from his son the whole time? That is a good point. We watched that movie in, like, kindergarten after school. Um, I, I was very saddened by that movie, and the way my emotions when it comes to movies works, if I don't like the movie, I'm not going to like the actor. So that could be part of why I don't like him as an actor, but also he's not a good actor, objectively. Uh, you're certainly not wrong. He is a terrible actor, but that actually, that really, we'll read some Arnold puns in a little bit from uh, some Mr. Freeze puns, but he fit that role really well. I mean, Batman the Animated Series was um, did a really great job of trying to make Mr. Freeze more of a serious character, but he he's... Like the Joker can be hilarious and also menacing. Something with Mr. Freeze. Arnold's a big guy. Mr. Freeze is not a very menacing character. He's he's some he's a character you kind of laugh at versus uh I even the Riddler, there's maybe a fear of um there's a sort of uh fear behind his his antics, but uh Mr. Freeze I've never I've never thought is really one of the A tier Batman villains. But uh, maybe that's perhaps why the Riddler and the Riddler and Mr. Freeze have not made appearances since they've largely just done. Uh, I did Scarecrow, Joker, and then Bane. And this Bane is uh, not exactly the uh, greatest adaptation of Bane, but the movie the movie does camp super super well, pretty much with every line and. To take Uma Thurman, who had an Oscar uh, nomination at that time, very serious actress, to take her and put her in those uh, uh, great outfits. I want all of her wardrobe, but she handled it. She handled the camp very well. I thought that uh, her lines are great, and the way that she seduces Batman and Robin, the, the auction scene where Bat Batman pulls out a Bat credit card. Where do you think he got the Bat credit card? 
the the whole auction scene doesn't make sense just generally why don't people question where did Batman and Robin get all of this money that they're bidding I think seven million dollars for a date with this woman who came out of nowhere when that had completely exceeded the previous bids people people weren't questioning it they, they were very Hannah Montana about their identities here they weren't really trying to hide it and somehow no one questioned it well, I, I also just kind of wondered, I, they don't really get into how uh, there's no paparazzi following Bruce Wayne's private life, but the the credit card scene certainly under uh, certainly makes you think about where Bat- Batman gets his money, but then also just the, the appearance of a sidekick right around the same time that uh, Bruce Wayne would have had a ward. I mean, I guess, I guess Robin is kind of his ward. The, the Joel Schumacher era. I, yeah, he's put under his care, certainly in Batman Forever, but uh, I, I you, you'd assume that some people would know that Bruce Wayne has taken in a child and right around the same time that Batman has a uh, companion following him around. That, that That's never questioned. The wealth of a character like Batman is never questioned. A lot of it isn't questioned. And you have Commissioner Gordon there, who's played by Pat Hingle, who is a... Um, I really thought he did a lot of, uh, I think he did a, a, a good job as the character in between him and Michael Gow. Those are the only two characters to be in all four movies. And in an era growing up before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that was always something that I, I appreciated because you have a different Batman in every movie. Uh, just also for context, just as uh, I was growing up, I was also a big James Bond fan. And that was also something where you had... I would always view Batman as kind of a James Bond-style character where every couple of years a different actor would take the role, but obviously Bond between uh, Desmond Lulin or Judi Dench or you know the actors who have played M or Miss Moneypenny, you'd have some continuity, but you'd have all the continuity. And I've always been somebody who's fascinated with continuity as an English major, and in, in grad school I liked doing... I liked looking at old, early, modern continuity and even even something like Mark Antony appearing in uh, Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra when Shakespeare obviously would, with most uh, with most of his plays, or at least the tragedies, everyone would die at the end. So to have continuity, even in a very sort of fractured sense, was always something that was interesting to me. But Commissioner Gordon doesn't do a heck of a lot of things in Batman and Robin, which is... I guess kind of a bummer. He didn't. He hadn't built a Robin signal, but Poison Ivy found the time to build a Robin, Robin signal. Like the the one scene that I remember uh, the commissioner being in was when Poison Ivy was also trying to seduce him. If that was the right person, that is that's the only memory I have of him there. You didn't, yep. think, you didn't think Commissioner Gordon was was particularly memorable? Nope. <laughs> And I remember him in the other movies, and I remember you pointing him out in this movie, and he was very lackluster. He was, well, maybe lackluster is a mean word. They did not do much with him. Underutilized. And this is a movie where Alfred plays a, a bigger role in Batman and Robin, maybe, than... I mean, I he's always kind of a, he, a character for Batman to interact with, especially in the Tim Burton ones, where there's no Robin, and it's just kind of... Batman alone in his in his cave, and he's sad, and he has his father figure there, and he has Alfred in Batman and Robin, but Alfred is sick, and 
Robin and Batman don't really there there's a lot of angst and actually it, that that's really where a lot of the sort of the the gay undertones begin because just the just the conflict for, for throughout much of Batman and Robin a lot of their conflict is uh it it morphs from sort of a father and son type situation of like of Batman trying to restrain Robin who goes after Mr. Freeze and he gets frozen in the ice and Batman has to stay behind to warm him up. Did you like that opening scene? Yeah. Um, and since you like told me beforehand that they, they had those gay undertones, like watching that scene, it was very clear that, well, it, it, it did not look like just platonic business relationship. It didn't look like father and son, like, Batman, who is a crime fighter, gave up the crime fighting to save his friend when maybe he, like, I think he had about 11 minutes or something when he could have gone after Mr. Freeze and still saved his friend. He decided to forego any option of fighting crime and just saved his friend. That's not something that you would do just for your business partner. It looked pretty gay. And all of that is set against the backdrop of, uh, just kind of further the the Batman uh, James Bond comparisons. Each of the four Batmans has a different love interest for Batman that never comes back. You had Kim Basinger in the first one, then you had Michelle Pfeiffer in the most iconic uh, female superhero performance of all time, in my opinion, is Catwoman in that. And Nicole Kidman is in Batman Forever. And then if anybody if anybody listening knows that. Uh, L. MacPherson played Julie Madison in Batman and Robin. Uh, it's a role that's so inconsequential. You have to look up the name, but but you almost forget that she's even in the movie. She has uh, she has a scene where Batman is dedicating his uh, uh, planetarium or the big telescope to Gotham City, and then. Uh, she's upset because she wants to get married, and Batman is not at all interested. And they do their best to try and frame it as a, oh, I'm a perennial bachelor kind of thing. But the whole time you're sitting there going, no, he doesn't want her because he doesn't want her to screw up the the vibes between him and Robin. I also thought that it was weird. I, I was just trying to figure out the timeline of their relationship because I think the reporters were saying that they'd been together for so long, and then there's a comment later that it's actually only been a year. So I don't think she has a right to be pressing him to get married. But then also they've been together for that long and she doesn't know that he's Batman. That's weird. That's not trusting. Meanwhile, Robin knows that he's Batman. So what do you make of that? Well, Robin Robin obviously uh, did his acrobats to get to the Batcave in Batman Forever. But it's such a... Even in, even in the pre-cell phone era... Even in, I'm not even sure they really would have had in 1997 like AOL and some messenger for her to like log on and see that Bruce Wayne has an away message saying, uh, you know, I'm away. Bat signal came up. Gotham needs me. Style or some something cryptic like that. But she doesn't really. She's very worthless in that movie, and and not at all necessary. And maybe, maybe somebody. I don't even, you know, Joel Schumacher, who's gay himself, uh, obviously did a lot of, uh, put a lot of uh, homoerotic, uh, are they even subtones? Or, uh, Overtones. Are they e even like, uh, it's just so obvious that, it's so obvious that 
This is a movie where, I mean, the movie starts off with close-ups of their tushies. Quite nice. George Clooney, nice ass. Chris O'Donnell, nice ass. They're both still attractive men. They both have, uh, they've got their cod pieces. <laughs> and they've said, he said time and time again, look, I, I wanted to make something that looked like a Greek statue with the nipples and the cod piece. And I get it. Batman, both Batman and Superman, there's a sort of sexual element to both of them that the way that they both train so much and they're, well, Superman is like basically a god and that I guess maybe, I don't know, Iron Man's in his suit, Tony Stark, he's obviously fit, but, uh, and Robert Downey Jr. is obviously attractive. The character is, I guess, probably also supposed to be attractive. But when it comes to Batman, you've got this character who is just—he's very sexual in nature. I think the 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 even the just his six pack carved into his suit, which is, um, you know, is that really necessary? Do you think a six pack needs to be carved into? Do you, do you know any clothing where the abs are? Do you, do you know any rubber clothing where the abs <laughs> are just carved into it? No. It's that's purely for aesthetic when you could make something that's probably safer kind of suit of armor type deal that will conform to your body without having to force the appearance of muscles. Like maybe if Batman skips the gym for a few days, he just wants people to see that look. But that's inauthentic. And his viewers should know that those are fake six pack. Yeah, and it's not he, he can't turn his neck in the suit. Uh, he, he has to, like, rip up his own mask in, uh, Batman returns to, to, uh, towards the end, looking very uncomfortable in the process. I'm sure it's hot as hell in there. It's not a very porous material. It's not like, uh, Luan. It's not like he went to Lululemon, got some nice leggings, and then was going to do some downward dogs. No, he put a rubber suit on to go ice skate with, uh, Mr. Freeze's, uh, group to save, to save the diamond. Which, actually, you could almost think... It's so it's so fascinating, or it's just so strange that so many superhero movies are about protecting people, saving lives. Batman and Robin starts off with a sort of ice skating playing thing over a diamond. It's about material wealth, and Batman's kind of a problematic character from a capitalist perspective. I mean, instead of going around crime fighting, Bruce Wayne could could. Uh, really spend a lot of money that he would spend on gadgets, maybe improving the city. Do you think he should have uh, invested that in local infrastructure instead? Well, you've got local infrastructure, but also you've got the police department right there who clearly needs more help. And what if he, couldn't he have just been a police officer himself? Why does he have to do all of this on his own? Like, leave it to people who can use the money. And there are way more people in the police force than just Batman. So you can have, like, all of your police officers sharing the wealth, sharing the resources, using that high technology to catch even more criminals. That's why Batman only has like a few enemies because he's only one person. He can't fight every crime. It's true. And Wayne Enterprises is not really, doesn't factor into those movies at all. There's no Lucius Fox in the Schumacher. But why do I keep saying Schumacher for a burden? He said, said first, I, I love all four of those movies. I actually probably like all four of them better than I like the Dark Knight trilogy. And that's not to say, you know, if you're listening, you're like, oh my God, that's blasphemy, or Ian's an idiot, or I'm not never going to read her reviews or take her seriously again. 
They're not better movies. Although, especially just on the... Th- I'm thinking a lot about the original Batman in the wake of its 30th anniversary. And, it, you know, it's been back... They've all been back in theaters, but... Is that a better movie than The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises? It might actually... Batman Batman Returns might be also, but uh, I wouldn't make the claim that Batman Forever or Batman and Robin are... And yet, I would say that I enjoy watching them. I mean, just, you have Mr. Freeze come out, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, The Iceman, the Iceman cometh. How can I not do an... Everybody, you know what? Nobody needs to hear a, a horrible Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. It's, it, you want to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger accent, Taryn? No. Um. Yeah, I mean, he says, you know, Tonight, hell freezes over, or... I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. And he comes in, cool party. You are not sending me to the cooler. Stay cool, bird boy. All right, everyone, chill. It's a cold town. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. What killed the dinosaurs? You know kill the dinosaurs, Tara? Did Mr. Freeze? No, no, the, <laughs> the Ice Age. <laughs> Ice Age the movie? No, the ice stuff. <laughs> I made a joke. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Let's bring that left track back. Um, <laughs> talk about your cold shoulder. I mean, Mr. Freeze has, it's so ponderful. The whole movie is just one big pun. Which is great because it's a movie that goes on for over two hours, as long as hell, and it, you kind of get the sense that not a heck of a lot happens during it. There's a lot of just fighting. You get introductions. Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze team up briefly for a little bit. But a lot of the movie kind of... So many big budget movies feel like larger than life. And it's probably because a lot of them are filmed on you know, are on actual locations where there's actual people and these were filmed in sound stages and aside from the battles where you have a lot of Mr. Freeze's minions, uh, a lot of the movie are scenes with only a few people in them and especially scenes in Wayne Manor or when you have Bane, Poison Ivy, and Mr. Freeze interacting, it, it, it kind of feels at times like you're watching a stage play. Did you get that sense, Sarah? I didn't, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Like, where are the other villains during this movie? They just said, okay, we've got Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. So every other villain in Gotham City at this point just said, okay, we're going to go take a vacation. And we won't even be seen as background characters. And where are the other superheroes? Well, they do go to, I believe it's, I'm not sure if the movie officially says that Mr. Freeze is kept in Arkham, but that's obviously meant kind of to be Arkham. Uh... Some of the characters probably would be there. Uh, at least the Riddler. Or... Yeah, Mr. Freeze was sent to Arkham Asylum, which is uh, where a lot of the villains are kept. And then they break out. That's something Batman the Animated Series did really well. Would uh, it, it would cycle. I mean, there are dozens of Batman villains, and a lot of them really aren't that memorable, but... Just like, I mean, if if you're a casual, casual comic book fan, or even just a casual superhero movie fan, you can probably name more Batman villains than 
practically every other superhero combined. I mean, not like if you walked, if if you stopped people on the street and said, name five superhero villains, you'd probably get, you know, Joker, Penguin, Mr. uh, Maybe not even Mr. Freeze, but, uh, you know, superheroes, villains, like General Zod. A lot of those names are hard to pronounce. Iron Man doesn't have a ton of really memorable villains. You'd have to go like Spider-Man with the Green Goblin or Doc Ock to find a superhero with a lot of really mainstream villains in that kind of way. Lex Luthor, Superman, fine. Uh, And Batman has this large stable, and that's probably why, aside from the first one, they started adding more and more villains. And maybe one of the chief complaints with Batman and Robin is that it often feels like a toy commercial. Do you get that that sense? I definitely see that. Maybe it's the kind of the plastic look of everything, the everything bright and shiny. And then we have not just one, but two villains. And you've got Poison Ivy who wears maybe like four different outfits. That's a really good line of Barbies right there. $50 for people to spend for their kids to have Poison Ivy with all of her clothes. And then you've got the various action figures. You know what? Let's make Poison Ivy an action figure also. We're going to be... Everyone's going to have Barbies and action figures for everyone. And we, then you can have, like, the all of their cars and the motorcycles. There's lots of good materialist things here. And there are a lot of characters, too, not just in the villains, but the first two, the Tim Burton Batmans, it's just Batman. Then Robin comes. And then in the next movie, we get Batgirl, who doesn't really do a heck of a lot, but... That's another just kind of uh, obvious toy grab. And the funny thing about that is also just from the perspective of... uh, This is 1997. Female representation in superheroes is really not that far ahead of uh, LGBTQ representation in superhero movies. Obviously, we do have female superheroes, but uh, we literally just had our first Marvel movie with a female lead, and Wonder Woman wasn't that long ago. It was... 2017, right? Um, yes. So that was 10 years after we had a Batgirl, and we didn't have a Batgirl for very long. There was supposed to be a sequel. It got canceled, even though the movie made money, about $100 million less than Batman Forever, but it wasn't a total bust. Although $238 million even by 1997 standards does kind of seem underwhelming for... A superhero like Batman, who we all know and love, but Batman and Robin was also really it, it. It felt more like a franchise movie than a lot of them, which is perhaps why I like it because you've got all these gay undertones, and it's a big blockbuster movie. So you've got all these people who are here and they're potentially uh, being exposed to a gay superhero. And you know, obviously, the movie uh, plenty of people think it's horrible, but. Um, Maybe it normalized nipples on a spandex <laughs> Everybody can wear nipples on, you know, if if you're in if you're in the market for your new superhero suit, now you know that it's normalized that you can get nipples on it and a codpiece if you want one. With regard to Batman and Robin's relationship too, I think a lot of it uh, was influenced by the fact that. Poison Ivy was trying to seduce both at once while not really cultivating a relationship with either. They were kind of quick, very... Well, I think Poison Ivy, her seduction of them was... I think she was trying to 
get something because her goal after she first set eyes on Mr. Freeze was him. Um, and so her going after Batman and Robin, I think, is just like a show of power. Right. And whatever other goals she had at that gala. And it's purely transactional. And Yes. Which kind of leaves both of them in the absence of uh, love relationships for either. And yet they both... Robin has the racing scene with uh, Batgirl that's... It's like part Clockwork Orange. You've got Coolio as the the head of the race committee or... I'm not even 100% sure what you'd want to call it. It's it's one of the most unnecessary scenes, I think, in any superhero movie. And yet... And then, of course, Batman doesn't really have a love interest. So the two of them are both flirting around with women. And yet beyond that, they're just... They're, they're, they're fighting. They're having these, these petty arguments over who should go to Poison Ivy... And yet lost in it is the notion that maybe they should stay home and uh, enjoy some fun in one of the many, not even just the Batcave, but one of the other many rooms of Wayne Manor. And the, the, the tension. There's even a point where Robin literally says to Batman, this doesn't feel like a partnership, or this is not a partnership. And I'm sitting there, and when Tara and I were watching it, I said, oh, they're partners. And it, 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 it feels maybe like it was a Freudian slip of sorts. Did you get that sense? Yeah. Like, it definitely felt like Robin was alluding to something more than just um, a superhero sidekick or business partner's kind of relationship. And so trying to look at them as, okay, what if they are really both supposed to be kind of in the minds of the writers in the closet, trying to really figure out what the other is feeling this movie would, like, a sequel to this movie would be about them trying to really establish their relationship because it's clear that Batman's not interested in this, like, supermodel next to him. Um, and honestly, the scene between Robin and um, the Alicia Silverstone character, it feels like they had to write that in to give the appearance that he's he's heterosexual. He's this young guy, and he sees a young girl, and so naturally, they're going to be together. But it doesn't really feel natural. It, the scene itself, um, the character also of Batgirl, feels forced into the movie. So does the supermodel girlfriend. It all feels forced. Like they had to say to the studio, this is a straight movie. But then when you look at the characters, you can say, okay, they do love each other. They're just, they're not going to admit it yet. Yeah, it, it, and to be fair, Batgirl also has nipples on her suit, so it's not. And it was designed by her uncle, which That's... is very awkward. That was the first thing I thought of. Why is her uncle designing a suit so form-fitting for his niece? Yeah. And but the, me too. The video that he, <laughs> the video that he appears in after she guesses the, the password is Peggy, which Seems kind of, uh, even in 1997, like maybe not the best security for the infrastructure of, uh, of Batman to have. They should probably have better security. Especially because the back, the Wayne Manor was invaded by the Riddler in the previous movie and the, the Batmobile gets blown up. So, Alfred, who, who is very multi-talented, he 
was even uh, he was sick in the movie, conveniently uh, having the same disease as Mr. Freeze. Very wife. convenient, and it is at the stage where Mr. Freeze had the cure. Like, wow, that was very natural, very real. I I, I did like the notion that Mr. Freeze would have a wife because he feels a bit more humanized versus. I mean, he, he's got his sort of the, the he's got all the cartoonish aspects of Two-Face or the Riddler, and yet he's looking for something. He's trying to save his wife. Maybe he won't be evil after that. Maybe he will. Well, I think the fact that he went through such extents to try to keep himself and her alive, it shows that there is evil lurking within him, even if his goal was good. Why did he have to steal all these diamonds why did he do all of this stuff like killing people and stealing in order to save her that's not good character conduct that that is bad even if it was for a good purpose there are other things that he could have done to save her or just let himself also succumb to his let's say a disease that he had or whatever like like a lot of superheroes uh he got his superpowers by accident after uh, experimenting with his uh, with trying to cryogenically preserve his right. wife. Right. Something that uh, be interesting to see how they would approach that movie nowadays with uh, cryogenics having made some more advances. I mean, no, people don't get frozen in ice, but uh, you can freeze people's uh, you can freeze sperm in ice. You can freeze <laughs> eggs. Mr. Freeze maybe taking that a little too far. I I don't know if Mr. Freeze could was fertile or not. That's a be interesting to see what his his baby would have looked like. But uh, he may have been a good parent. He had a sense of humor. He was having his henchmen sing a song from my favorite Christmas special of all time. They were without a Santa Claus where he's going, "I'm Mr. White Christmas. I'm Mr. Snow." I love Snow Miser and Heat Miser and I. It's it's. It's a movie that Batman and Robin is a movie that brings me so much joy from every scene, except except the 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 racing is stupid. But the racing also it just considering uh, as you know if you're you're a longtime listener of the podcast, I like to talk about video games a lot. Uh, the whole kart racing phenomenon was so big in the the video game. Our racing games are also so big. It it, it almost seemed like that was kind of trying to appeal to video games it doesn't make sense for a movie that's already too long it didn't really make sense to include that as a scene there maybe were probably better ways to flesh out the barbara wilson character rather than have her be some sort of motorcycle person well you can have her like motorcycles but just all of it again it felt forced and like it's like they worked from the point of we want to have a motorcycle scene and then worked backwards from there to say, okay, we're going to make this make sense now, and yet it didn't make sense. No. It didn't really touch anything else. And I mean, just also from the perspective of Bat- Batman and Alfred, supposed to be, uh, they're crime fighters. Batman started off as a detective, and yet uh, the two, the two uh, sort of quote-unquote children, one of them is obviously a child he's in love with, uh, Dick Grayson, Robin, but... Uh, they're supposed to just run off and join this race. We don't. We don't know how far Wayne Manor is away from Gotham City. I mean, I, I've always kind of interpreted his house to be sort of uh, in in Westchester or uh, my 
hometown of Greenwich, Connecticut, which is suburbs of, of New York. Uh, I imagine that it's not that close to Gotham, and yet they're motorcycling in the middle of the night and in with uh, with with an, uh, late enough in the night that everybody else is asleep, and yet not not Batman didn't go crime fighting that night. But also, see, uh, all of the other villains were on vacation. Yeah, I mean, it's not clear they were going to use for the fifth movie. The Scarecrow would have made an appearance, and obviously, Scarecrow was the villain in Batman Begins, played by Cillian Murphy, who then also cameoed in both of the other Christopher Nolan Batmans. But they, uh, it doesn't make sense, sort of how they decided they were going to race. But I, I just maybe I'm upset that. That didn't uh, take a good opportunity to show more scenes of Chris O'Donnell's ass. <laughs> Would you have preferred more butt scenes all around from all of the characters? Sure. <laughs> it's. I guess if we're trying to think about what the what the core conflict of Batman and Robin, what the plot of Batman and Robin is, I'd almost place the the conflict between Batman and Robin themselves. I mean, not only are they the you know, that's literally the title, but I mean, so many of the other well, I'm not sure what Batman Forever is supposed to mean because Val Kilmer only plays the role once and uh Well like Hannah Montana Forever. Sure. And Batman Batman returns obviously back then. You can't do Batman's back again as the third <laughs> movie. But uh it's Batman and Robin. The movie starts off with them kind of fighting. They fight after they get back from the hockey match and <laughs> they fight for they fight they fight the whole movie basically. Yeah, there's real sexual tension there. They they're trying to figure out how the other feels about him. Yeah, and the sexual tension just makes up so much of the narrative that I I can't help but feel like like Batman and Robin is really about the relationship between Batman and Robin. That may seem, you know, pedantic, but uh you, you watch the movie, you're searching for a narrative, and it's not even, like, like, obviously you could kind of look at something like that and say, okay, we're grasping at straws with that kind of concept, but uh, or, or that kind of interpretation. I don't think it is. I think it's, it's a really, it's an intimate Shakespearean drama between a man and his sort of kind of grown-up ward that he's hopelessly in love with at the expense of a... And let's not forget, this is 1997, we still don't even have a gay superhero in the MCU or whatever the hell the DC universe is doing. Bruce Wayne may be rich, but he's got a sort of a reputation as a playboy. Is he ready not not to come out as Batman? He's not ready to come out as Batman, but is he going to come out as a homosexual? That's kind of what the movie's about. Yeah, I agree. I think like the girlfriend was there just as a beard for Batman or for Bruce Wayne because she didn't know that he, she was dating Batman in actuality. So Bruce Wayne is here trying to cover up his sexuality by dating this model and just pining after Robin the whole time. That is the plot of the movie. And Bruce Wayne is, um, he's such a loner in so many aspects. You, you, you've got to kind of wonder if, all these years he's fighting crime, he's got Alfred, but he doesn't take in a, a an apprentice until he's got one that he's obviously got feelings for. He doesn't, you know, we don't have the Flash, he doesn't, he doesn't dig a hole in the backyard so that 
Aquaman can train in the pool. I don't even really... I'm not even sure Wayne Manor has a pool, which is a little odd because he's got all those motorcycles, but he's waiting. He He's waiting for his to open his heart up to the right person. And then thankfully, there's, there's Dick Grayson there. And there isn't as much of the sexual tension in Batman Forever, but... You know, obviously Dick's family dies in that. He's sad. He's a little bit younger. Val Kilmer doesn't... There's no nipples. Val Kilmer doesn't have a cod piece. Um, and I imagine Val, Val Kilmer's interpretation of Batman is probably more pansexual than than homosexual. And he, he just, you know, he, he's going to be attracted to the person and not the... Not, not necessarily one... Uh, not necessarily to a specific gender, but you've got... Uh, George Clooney, who's who's he, he's almost. I mean, not not that, not that we've had an unattractive Batman, obviously, aside from Ben Affleck, who they really missed a lot of opportunities to do a uh, another gay Batman and have Matt Damon play Robin, which would have really been fitting, and I think they really could have done a lot for the character of Batman had they done that. But George Clooney was the perfect sort of foil for Chris O'Donnell. They look a uh, I'm not. I'd have to look up the age difference between Val Kilmer in 1995 and uh, uh, George Clooney in '97. If I, I imagine George Clooney's probably a little younger, but uh, and Chris O'Donnell would have been older. They seemed like a much more natural fit as uh, lovers than than Ward and sort of parental figure, which is also fitting because I don't think Alfred... Alfred's a good uncle, but he doesn't seem like he's ready to be a grandfather yet, let alone a great-grandfather. So Dick can't be his uh, child, too. He's got to kind of be his son-in-law in that kind of setting. Sure. <laughs> and he has a lot of affection for him. You can see that Alfred is trying to cultivate the relationship between Batman and Robin. He's a warm figure. He's he's excited, Um Maybe he brought Barbara Wilson. Well, she pops in unannounced, so he didn't bring her in to try and... Yeah, uh, she really could have, like, screwed over their whole we're keeping Batman a secret plan by just showing up when, like, Bruce was going out in full Batman gear. Or She if, came without warning. This is why you tell people when you're coming to visit. Well, she could have come in and Batman and Robin could have been role-playing in the living room. Yes. Do you think they do that in the Batcave at all? It would make sense. It also, I mean, there's a sexual tension just from the perspective of Batman has his car, he has the Batmobile, and Robin, he has to have him uh, have him be in the motorcycle. It's like a, a sort of a top and bottom situation. Uh, one of them is clearly the alpha, Robin is the beta, and he, he's feisty about it, but deep down he probably also, he's probably enjoying it maybe just a little bit, the rebellious. There's so much sexual tension in the movie, It's it's so apparent. Yes. <laughs> there, there's, there's totally, totally. <laughs> it got a bit graphic. <laughs> um, but I, I keep just going back to the image of 1997 because, and I, I was six when this movie came out, and I had all of these movies on VHS back when people had VHS, and you know this is a pre. Pre TiVo, pre DVR era, you've got, you know, uh, as a kid, there weren't very many channels that had uh, 
things to watch on. You have, you know, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Disney. I didn't even have Toon Disney back then or, or Nick Gas, two channels. That You could really do an episode on each of those. That would be fun. Nick Gas was great. But um, if you wanted to, especially just just the, the way that I would interact with these movies, I had a, um, my Batman VHS we would always keep in my uh, old bedroom at my grandparents' house down the street. And when we would go over there for long dinners and I'd be bored as a child, I would just go up there and watch that movie over and over. And to have those just, just looking at it again and again and again, it, it, it was even apparent to a young young little gay child like me that uh, this movie, Batman and Robin, was speaking to me. These people were on a level of also just, just accepting... A, a lot of LGBTQ discourse, uh, especially ref- we're just referring to the past, is how, how, how much people had to have fun in spite of the circumstances. You couldn't be yourself in public, but you could you could have sub- subtext that other people would understand. And for a world... And it's hard to call a lot of what's happening in Batman and Robin subtext because it's so just apparent, and obviously a lot of people picked up on it, but... As, as a child, when that movie came out and I was in school, people, people I mean, obviously children liked it because we had the toys, we had a, all this stuff to play with, but it wasn't like, you know, growing up in school where gay was often a synonym for stupid, people really liked Batman, even though Batman would not have been a fan of that because it would be homophobic. Batman and Robin is, as we said earlier, is regarded as one of the worst movies ever made, not just the worst superhero movie. I can't accept that it's the really the worst superhero movie, though, just on a scale of how much joy it brings. Like, we could say, okay, Batman and Robin is the worst superhero movie ever made. But then if we pose a question like, for example, what would you rather watch? Would you rather watch Batman and Robin or Thor The Dark World? So I would prefer watching Batman and Robin to almost any recent superhero movie at least with, like, the male superheroes, give me Wonder Woman. Um, because the recent superhero movies with, like, the Christopher Nolan Batmans, you've got, like, the original Thors before Ragnarok. They're all very dark. I, I just want the fun. And superhero movies are supposed... I mean... Who the hell am I to say what they're supposed to be, I guess? But comic books are fun. We're not reading... For decades, people have been trying to, you know, prove, oh, graphic novels are high literature. Yeah, that's that's true, obviously. But lost in that kind of discussion is, uh, and and you could say the same for novels in general. There's you're you're in all of this quest to sort of prove that comic books or superheroes are these sort of high art medium. Maybe we lose in in the process just the notion that this is supposed to be a lot of fun. Yeah, when you consider, like, the pre-Big Bang Theory, when comic books were still the thing for nerds and geeks, those aren't the people that you really associate with high forms of art anyway. The fans of comic books and the fans of superheroes and superhero movies have always been more of the outcast type. We're not necessarily the people who are looking to watch, like, Titanic or, like, The Notebook on screen which are both very romantic movies in the form of drama. I can't think of, like, what is drama when it comes to, like, action, masculine-type stuff. I don't know. I don't watch those things. 
so kind of the the as as far as graphic novels go, the one that's kind of regarded as as well, I mean, there's plenty that are regard really highly regarded, and but but the one that's sort of the most mainstream, big gra- serious graphic novel that that is so well known is Watchmen, and in the movie adaptation of Watchmen, which I also really like, uh, I'm one of the few people who doesn't hate the Zack Snyder Watchmen. I think it's a, it's actually a great adaptation. Probably save the more on that for a, another podcast. But Ozymandias, which is um, Matthew Good's character, the ooh, is it a spoiler? Yeah, he, uh, we'll say he's the villain. You know, if you're listening to a Batman or Robin podcast, you're probably familiar with Watchmen, but sorry if you've never seen or read Watchmen. Uh, spoiler alert. Ozymandias, not a nice guy, but he has nipples on his suit. And I think they made Adrian... Uh, I mean, a- Adrian is kind of a homoerotic character to begin with, and it's interesting because you got Alan Moore, who uh, wrote him, David Gibbons drew the character, but Alan Moore uh, is, is, is really well-known for Batman Year One and the, the Dark Knight Returns, which are two of the most serious and and really they're they're both excellent. And actually, from where I'm sitting in our recording studio, I'm looking up and I have my graphic novels for all three of those just sitting up on the shelf. Uh, they're really serious Batman's as opposed to I mean the character's been around for so long that he's meant so much. He's he's filled so many roles and he's been you know serious can't be pretty much every emotion you can imagine. He's got so many uh, villains that, that that can also be the case. But um, the idea that that Watchmen, which is you know supposed to be some big serious thing, not not that Zack Snyder necessarily took it totally in that direction, but um, to do the homage to take their character, who's supposed to be sort of a godlike figure, and include a. a, a not even really an Easter egg, but a very, very blatant tribute to Batman and Robin. I thought it was actually a very interesting decision. What did you think about about Ozymandias' suit? So I did look it up. Um, it's not... I, I don't think it was as like overtly sexualized as Batman's and Batman and Robin, but it's definitely in the same vein of like unnecessarily chiseled and everything. Well, we think about both... both um... I guess both what Joel Schumacher was really trying to go for in Batman and Robin and then also what, what just Ozymandias represents is sort of the the notion of a of a perfect man. And there's something very I don't know, metrosexual or even just, just Gay. Yeah, about 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 going to those lengths because at a certain point it becomes less about you know, the people at the gym they working out to impress their partner or a female partner or are they working out to to impress other guys uh, assuming the the person we're talking about is straight but are they working out to impress women or are they working out to impress other men or themselves and there's so many different sort of wires in that kind of line of thinking and it, regardless of who they're trying to impress it's there there is kind of the homoerotic just nature of, of, of that what do you think uh yeah, I agree. I think like as you, as you were speaking, I was thinking about like the way we would analyze this is like how many people are at your gym? How nice is this gym? How close are you working to like 
one sex or the other? Are you like really out there or are you just like working out at home? I think a lot of people who work out at big gyms are there to impress other people. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm approaching all of this as somebody who, I mean, I guess I'm I'm on paper you know, bisexual. Obviously, Tara and I are in a relationship, so I don't go around at night cruising for men. But um, I, I appreciate many asset, uh, man, many different aspects of the male body, and uh, you know, it, sometimes sometimes when I'm talking about sexuality to to straight people, and I'm yeah, I, I I guess more more so than most, I I believe that sexuality is more of a spectrum than uh, maybe mainstream media or main just mainstream culture gives it credit for. But obviously, we know people like uh, George Clooney or Val Kilmer, or even Michael Keaton, are sort of quote unquote pretty boys. Christian Bale would also fit in that. Not Ben, but not Ben Affleck. Maybe you find him attractive. Maybe not. Uh, if you're a man or a woman, a non-binary person, um, but. For Batman, he he's he's supposed to kind of he, it's the old adage of uh, men want to date him, men want to be him. I think if if that's the case, then the men would probably also want to want to uh, date him, except maybe not not as explicit. But um, I could be wrong. I and that's kind of the way that, regardless of how you write Batman and Robin, and this is a movie being directed by a gay man. Robin did not want. I, you don't get the sense. There's there so many points in the movie where Robin wants to is kind of showing that he wants to showing that he wants to to be Batman. He wants the Robin signal. He wants Poison Ivy to to want him. He wants to be wanted. And I keep going, just going back to the idea of 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 who is he? Who who does he want to want him? Is it society? Are they? Are they? Does he want people to to signal the Robin signal, or do they? Or does he want Poison Ivy to want him, or does he really just want Bruce to consider him as equal and then to cuddle him at night? It's definitely the latter. I think he wanted to be an equal with Bruce, so that like maybe Bruce could see him as a viable romantic partner and not seeing him as a kid. Because when he's treating him as this sidekick, as someone who can't stand up for himself, someone who can't save himself, and is just this damsel in distress, Bruce isn't looking at him as, like, romantic partners. I think that's why he wanted um, the bat signal, or the Robin signal specifically. It's harder to say exactly what... Robin wanted with regards to Poison Ivy, especially when part of that is, like, her own, like, magic poison over him. But he was definitely hung up on her after that had faded. And so I think that could also be, like, him trying to show Bruce, I'm a man, I can get, like, women. But that one, it, I think he's still, like, trying to figure out, like, what does Bruce think of me? And that's also, that's also kind of just... Within Batman and Robin, there's not really there's not much night and day between Robin saying, "Oh, I'm gonna go off on my own to face Poison Ivy," and then I'm also gonna put on these protective lips that nobody really would know if nobody. It seems like Chris. It seems like Robin. It seems like Dick made a, a bit of a risky gamble putting on. Some kind of latex lip or... Yeah, like, did he test these? Did he talk to Alfred? Like, what does this work against? Where did Where, he get them? Yeah, how did he know that this would work? 
But what? he seemed to, like, the, the fact that he went there but was wearing these lips shows he was still listening to Bruce and saying, like, okay, yeah, he's right about this, but still looking to prove himself. He wasn't there for Poison Ivy. He was there to prove himself. And I wonder if it was frustrating that he was rescued, not necessarily by, by Batman at first, but by Batgirl, who was not probably the person that he was trying to impress, but... Something more of a of a sibling type relationship, definitely. Which also just makes sense from the perspective of um, by the time the movie by the time the movie ends, you have uh, you know the, the three of them are a team, and Batman there kind of clearly seems like more of an elder statesman, uh, sort of more of a parental figure, but maybe more of a parental figure to Batgirl than to Robin, who he's going to go home and sleep with. And he's not, you know, it, it, it's probably fitting. Well, I guess he had broken up with his uh, love interest by the time that they, by the latter part of the movie. But he doesn't reconcile with her at all. That's for sure. And, you know, you could say, oh, that's because the movie is too long. But no, like all of those movies, if you've got a love interest, you get back together by the end. If you don't get back together, that is a message you are sending. Yeah. And, and. All the other love interests have uh, factored into the ending. I mean, I... Or like you would even introduce a, like a snippet of the next love interest. They don't do anything like that. It's Robin. Yeah, and you have, um, you know, even like Batman Begins, which wasn't really a romance-centric movie, but you have Katie Holmes in that one. And then you have uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who dies in The Dark Knight. Having actually rejected Batman, which would have laid down the the framework for a relationship with with Robin, but uh, he doesn't make an appearance until the uh, until the the Dark Knight Rises, where you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt who takes over. We don't find out he's Robin till the end. It would have been interesting if they had made a fourth, where Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne came back. And Robin would have been holding down the fort, and then they could have held down the fort together, holding hands. Which uh, sadly we didn't get that. We're we have a lot of Batman with a lot of uh, untapped potential. We don't. We never got a fifth of the Burton Schumacher movies. Uh, the Dark Knight was obviously a trilogy. I I don't even really want to get into the can of worms that was uh, the Ben Affleck uh, the way those. Uh, a disappointment all around for the DC universe. We actually we don't know what's gonna happen, but uh, that Batman was in Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, which was Dawn of Boredom. One of the it's rare that I watch a movie. I, I saw that for the first time on an airplane, and I was sitting in the seats where you get the free drinks, uh, the Comfort Plus, and I was uh, just constantly downing scotch and sodas, and uh, not having time and i wish i had but uh it's rare that i watch a superhero movie that is even bad but uh, i didn't like i think that i actually would argue that batman and robin is an objectively better movie than batman versus superman you've seen batman versus superman right i think i've seen only batman versus superman of those ones i've not seen dawn of justice no it's the same movie oh wait then what what man of steel Man is of, that the other one? Yeah, but I've not seen. Okay, yes, I've I've seen the the one where they're fighting. I think. Yeah. Ah, uh, 
Man of Steel is not a terrible movie. I, I actually really like Henry Cavill's uh, Superman. I wish he would come back. Uh, as of now, it doesn't seem terribly likely. He didn't appear in Shazam in the cameo, uh, which was an odd cameo. I did like Shazam a lot, but you like Shazam too, right? I loved it. It's very fun. And again, that's the only thing I really care about. Yeah, I actually, in my review of it, I, 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 I do think it's probably the best of the DC universe movies wonder woman i would say is better but that is my opinion i i like wonder woman i i don't uh we obviously we disagree a little bit in that but um we have robert pattinson taking over the role of batman which he's too skinny i'm just gonna throw that out there well maybe he'll bulk up actually i've actually been a big fan of robert pattinson's career uh post twilight cosmopolis a lot of uh the one that just came out the space one, uh, which I'm blanking on, but um, he's a good actor, but he's also, I wish, and time will tell if we see it, but because the, the, the Batman has been so gun shy with regard to Robin. He's such kind of a, a gag character, but there's so much you can do with him. And it would be great if, I, I think reintroducing Robin, right, as Robert Pattinson's coming is a great, perfect way to bring the the gay vibes from Batman and Robin back because uh, Robert Pattinson's been such a sex symbol. They need to bring somebody who's, uh, you know, adorable to play the role of Robin, and then maybe they can do that again. And obviously they won't. And tying back into the themes of the, the uh, our gay Dumbledore episode, it's it's sad that we don't have more gay representation in superheroes. Especially these people have superpowers and they have no sexual fluidity. Isn't that kind of sad? Mm-hmm. But Batman or We've had over twenty movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've had a lot of uh a lot of mediocre movies in the DC universe, DC extended universe, and we haven't had another gay superhero movie. And there's uh, the whole notion of head cannon wanting something to be true. I a lot of times I've avoided that because I like things to sort of be reinforced by the text or by by what you see on screen versus just like sitting down and saying I want this sort of thing to be true, like. If you sit down and you're saying, I want a character to be transgender if you're a trans person. Oh, that's fine if you want to do it. I personally don't really do stuff like that. And and Batman and Robin is really kind of the case of a movie where I'm like, okay, this is a gay character. And ostensibly, Bruce Wayne in Batman and Robin is not gay, except it, it, it's, it's, it's like it's as close as we will ever get to having a gay character who isn't gay, but is also, he, he is gay. You know, is there any doubt in your mind that 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 Batman in Batman and Robin is gay? No, he's clearly not straight. And and you just just for clarification, you you didn't feel that way about Michael Keaton as Batman. Uh no. No, no. They're they're very different characters. The way that that Batman is played in Batman and Robin and like yes, starting right at the suit and then just like the entire relationship with Robin and every kind of subtext there, Batman is not straight. No, he's not. And as much as the movie is not good, it's 
got a terrible script filled with puns. It's wonderful, but it's terrible at the same time. And puns are great, but it's the actual like plot driving part of the script that is not there. Yeah, the, it it really does have a it has a weak plot. It has a lot of interesting pieces that it it it, it really fails to try and figure out what should we do with these people. But for all of that, it's it's a very I love it. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite superhero movies. It's idiotic and terrible. And I think the only thing it's missing is if Seal's Kiss from a Rose had been in that movie instead of Batman Forever. That would have been really the icing on the cake. And everybody just wait for it because it's inevitable. There you No, I won't continue with that, but. Seal, you know, maybe Seal should be Batman. I think he would be a great Batman. I think he would have the emotion. You can have just a cutaway scene like in Beauty and the Beast um, with Dan Stevens. We just have Batman at Seal singing a love song. And he would be, he's got the body to be a superhero. He's got like everything. He would be a captivating Batman. He would. And... Maybe someday, probably not. Seal is uh has not had that much of a career in the um in uh, after the nineties. Well, that's not true. He had Heidi Klum. That, that's not a career. <laughs> he became a family man, and that's fine. I think he did have maybe around the time they were breaking up, he tried to have a comeback that didn't do much. Um. Well, we we hope that Seal. Uh, we hope his career makes a comeback. He's a beautiful man. Uh, we wish him. We wish him the best. But uh, as as we kind of uh, as we start to wrap up the podcast, I. It's hard to say that this movie means a lot to me because it's it's so terrible. Uh, terrible things can still mean something to you. Well, I I love the room. I've seen the room five or six times. Uh, midnight screenings. I love it. It's. One of my favorite movies. Although dealing with Tommy Wiseau's press people is annoying. Uh, I, they've literally sent me Facebook messages before, which is weird. But uh, the room I love. I love Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's a it's a beautifully disastrous movie that Ed, Ed Wood's masterpiece. And uh, you know Tim Burton. In in a Hollywood connection, you've got uh, Tim Burton directed the Ed Wood film with johnny depp and then joel schumacher took over it's the camp the cabinet and i miss I, I i don't want my superhero movies to mirror real life i want them to be wild and it, actually honestly in that regard it's also another reason to love batman and robin because hollywood mainstream movies are not gay this was gay as hell and i i i will putting everything else aside i will appreciate it for that and you know, it's not to say I love every gay narrative. I certainly don't love them all. And it's also not to say that I should love something just because it's gay. But I love Batman and Robin because it's gay. Yeah, it would, it would, it would clunk a lot more if that's like, if that makes sense. What's I don't clunk? know, I guess it would like, it would fall flat <laughs> if it didn't have the gay elements. If you were just left with like bad puns. That it would feel out of place because then it would feel more serious. Yeah, I mean, the past 15, 20 years or so has really kind of squashed the idea that Batman needs Robin. Obviously, he doesn't need Robin. 
And actually, Robin does fine without him. Robin's had a great past 10 years. Teen Titans Go is hysterical. He's on a Titan show now on uh, the DC Universe, which is a really good show. Uh, Robin, Robin's go, Robin's on the rise, and maybe it's time to bring them back together. And obviously, I mean, we're not... Who the hell knows when we're going to get a gay superhero, but... I, I don't know, 10, 20 years, maybe maybe they'll finally actually make them gig. Okay. Or if they if they take that leap with Captain Marvel. Yeah, a lot of people have been, uh, people have shipped her and Valkyrie a lot. Uh, Do they interact? No, but people have. And then the, the other, the female character in uh, Captain Marvel, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, yeah, like she, she clearly had uh, some kind of romantic relationship with her friend from the past. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. And Hollywood Hollywood needs to get over that. But um, I'm pretty sure Brie Larson would be happy if she were gay. I do too. I get that sense, and I would I would like that for her. And I like Brie Larson a lot as an actress. So, and she's actually she Brie Larson is somebody who has really really pushed for equality uh, in in films. Uh, you hear her statements and all of that. So uh, maybe we'll see that, and then maybe maybe Batman and Robin can follow their suit. We only know, but. Um, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Batman and Robin Turbill? Uh, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. It was fun, and the gay aspect is a lot of that. It's enjoyable to watch. And it, it, it's great to get your perspective on that, because my view on that will always... I, I have a soft spot for those those four Batman movies. I love Michael Gow. I love... Maybe I don't... Yeah, Pat Hingle is fun. He's a, he was a great Commissioner Gordon. I really liked him. I love... Gary, I don't really love Gary Oldman. He he was good, uh, but it it was fun. It's a fun movie, and uh, I really enjoy it. And I would love to sit here and talk about it. It's a odd choice to celebrate Pride with, but uh, I did my a, a fantastic uh, woman article for uh, Rotten Tomatoes editorial. I suggest uh, checking that out if you want to hear my uh, serious commentary on an actual LGBTQ narrative. But hey, this is Batman and Robin is gay. <laughs> It is actually gay. It's in the subtext, but it's there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the movie in a while and you checked out this episode, I highly recommend watching it. Uh, have a lot of, you need a lot of alcohol to watch that movie. People make drinking games out of it. I'm sure you can go online and find a great drinking game, but, uh, which is the best. It's a great movie to, uh, watch, watch, uh, with a nice cocktail and copious amounts of marijuana. But uh, it lives on, and a lot of movies don't live on. A lot of people make movies that just kind of get forgotten. But uh, and that'll that that'll increasingly become the case as as we get more and more superhero movies. There's 20 Marvel movies now. Three of them come out a year, basically. Imagine how you know there's gonna be a lot in 10 more years. Uh, and if Batman and Robin is uh, the worst of them all, then uh, maybe that's something to be proud of. In a in a weird way, it it almost killed the franchise. Batman had to go away for eight years, but it lives on in us and in memory. And uh, I love that movie. I almost I I want to finish the podcast and go watch it again. I won't, but uh, <laughs> that kind of affection doesn't. You don't have that for every movie, but anyway. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>